Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is Jeff Doton with Believe in Chiefs on the Believe Podcast Network, Kansas City's number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team in Casey and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe on this week's show? Former Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valero and I talk about the OTAs, which are going on right now, and some other Chiefs news, including a prediction from, or perhaps a goal from uh, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but first, Joe, uh, the OTAs, first week wrapped up last week. We're now into the second week. Um, one of the things we're going to monitor through all the, the OTAs, the mini camp, the training camp, it's all about the offensive line. They had so many new guys come in, so much change there, and it was, it was such a, an issue in the Super Bowl. Um, and an interesting thing, I, I think we can kind of see how the offensive line is shaping up a little bit. We know Orlando Brown's going to be left tackle. We know Joe Tooney is going to be left guard. One of the key positions, we really, the rest of it, especially the right side, we don't know. And hey, listen, any, their OTAs, guys can miss them. Mahomes wasn't even at, at the, uh, the end of the week one last week. And we know how hard a worker, how diligent he is. But Laurent Duvernay-Tardif was not there. Kind of interesting just because he missed the whole year. You would think he wants to be back in it. Look, this guy has so much going on in his life. So, you know, whatever works best for him, we get. But I, I wonder if Kyle Long might have – he was working at right guard. If he might have a little leg up there. Do you think this is anything, nothing? Well, I, I, Jeff, I think he's got a shot just because he's Kyle Long. I, I don't think – you know, look, what Laurent did, right, and, and what he did it was so honorable and it's amazing, right, that he mm-hmm. was able to use his skills to help people through probably – what we will look back on in our lives as one of the craziest things that's ever happened to our country, other than, you know, some of the world wars and other things that have happened. But like, when you think about that in in modern times, the most people can remember, you know, this was one of the most interesting things ever happened. So, so what he did, I think like, yeah, that's a good, good point. So, so let's like, let's put that aside and let's speak very objectively about football. Right. You know, I mean, look, you know, he's going to have to come back and start repping, right? He, he can't – I don't think LDT can take anything for granted, and I don't think he will. Look, he's, like you said, he's got a lot going on in his life, but it's the NFL. And, and you know, it, Dave Zott and I used to sit next to each other in the locker for, you know, the six years I was there. We'd always look at each other and say, you know, this is a big game and it's going to keep rolling right along when we're gone, and it's not going to pause, right, just because – Joe Valerio and Dave Zott aren't playing for the Chiefs anymore. And we would laugh about it, but it, but it's the truth, right? And look, the Chiefs are not going to want a repeat of what happened in the Super Bowl, and they're doing everything they can to avoid that, and they started with the rebuilding of the line. So there's a very long answer to a really short question. Is it nothing? Is it something? I mean, look, if you're not there, you're not getting reps. So how, what, whether it's dealing with something personal or – you know, whether it's, uh, you know, d- dealing with something who, who missed me, he got dinged up or something that we don't know about. I mean, I, you know, I have to really report a whole lot of injuries and things right now. You know, he missed and he wasn't there getting reps. And these reps mean something, um, even though it is late May, June, we're going to be going into July. They, you know, th- these reps do actually count. And, and if you're not on the field, it means you're not on the field. So 
I think it's anybody. I think the when you're looking from center over, I have to agree with you, Jeff. It's it's going to be an all-out war and battle for those three spots because the Chiefs are going to want to have the best three to start the season playing together and building that chemistry. And they're going to, and the chemistry starts now. This is when chemistry starts. You know, this is when you start learning how we've talked about this a a lot, right on the pod, you know, especially on the offensive line with timing of zone blocking and pass protection and passing off stunts to each other when the, when the defensive line are stunting and, and doing different, uh, you know, moves and trying to, you know, trying to break through the penetration there. It's, this is where it's all starts. So look, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a dogfight. It's going to be really wild to see what happens, um, you know, come, you know, September and who those, that, that right side of the line is starting with the center, right? We'll go center on, on out. Um, the Chiefs are going to want the best players to start the season to protect Patrick. And they're also going to want at the same time, the best depth. So, you know, there's going to be a a battle for the starting jobs. There's going to be a battle for the backups. I mean, this is, this is all out, (laughs) you know, this is all out to get the best eight, nine linemen that they, that they're going to keep um, going into the season. I would imagine based on what happened last year, they're going to be conservative and go with nine on the active roster. That's my opinion, because I, I don't think they can let that happen again. They can't, I don't think they can deal with eight. I think they're going to go in with nine of their best and it's going to be their best. So anyway, that was a long answer, Jeff. I, I just, I, I was a big believer in attending everything you possibly can whenever you can. And any rep is a good rep. And we definitely were going to, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, your play day, days and what those practice were like then in the kind of the off season. But yeah, it's interesting, Joe, uh, back to the LDT Kyle Long thing. I initially thought the whole offensive line was going to be interesting in these positional battles. But I really thought right tackle was going to be the interesting one. Is that Remmers? Is that Lucas Niang? Is that Wiley? I really think now the interesting one is right guard because you have two players, Kyle Long and DuVernay Tardif, very good players. Uh, but neither of them played last year, you know, it, which is crazy. And they're also two of the more interesting. We know about Duvernay Tardif. Um, how, he's a renaissance man. He's, he's in medicine. He sailed around the world growing up. And I, I've loved interviewing him. He's just so – he's just as fascinating as you would think it would be. Uh, when I would go to Bears games, Kyle Law was my kind of – my favorite Bears guy. Like, he was just very candid. He was funny. He was just – so, I mean, it's going to be interesting from that level. And, you know, who knows that we think it's a two-man battle between those two very good players. But, you know, maybe they lost a step being gone for a year. Maybe they get nicked up. You could even have Austin Blythe move over or Mike Remmers is, can play, you know, or Wiley. So I think right guard is actually the position – I'm interested in all of them, but right guard is – the position I'm most interested to see what happens on the offensive line. I, I completely agree with you, Jeff, because right now the two players that are seemingly battling for that position are two players that have played in a year. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, and I got yeah, Jeff, you, you, you kind of describe them both so well because they are, you're very different, right? I mean, you know, LDT, like you said, he's a Renaissance man. He's, he seems to be, you know, one of those, calm under pressure players, you know, not that Kyle Long isn't calm under pressure, but Kyle's a little more fiery. Oh, yeah. Right? He's, 
for sure. Of- he's he's Kyle Kyle Law, and I think he'd admit that he he's a little bit like he's a little crazy out there. He's one of those like he's got a little bit of life and craziness, you know. He plays he plays with an edge. He'll admit that that he's a he's a little uh, that that's kind of his personality. Sure. I mean, you know, he's got, you know, he's, he's from football royalty, right? With Chris Long and, and Howie, their dad. I mean, you know, they're both, they're all, you know, Howie was, was, was not as probably as vocally, uh, you know, out there as Kyle is, but, you know, Chris and Kyle are, you know, they took all the skills from their dad as far as, you know, football knowledge and just a, a love of the game and a passion for the game. But Kyle definitely took that sort of uh, vocal part of it to the next level. He's a lot more, a lot more visually fired up than his dad was. He was although his dad was, you know, intense. I, I don't think I've played against a player or watched a player who was intense as Howie Long. So um, I think, you know, I, I think, I think there's, I think there's just a lot to be said about the, how those two are going to battle, right? The, this calm demeanor at LDT who, you know, who's been there, done that, won the Super Bowl with the Chiefs, you know, Kyle Long fired up, you know, kind of a more emotional type player, at least visually emotional uh, out on the field. It, it's, I, 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 I'm really excited about it, Jeff. I, I, can't, I can't demonstrate or, or, or sort of vocalize my, my excitement as, as, as much as I possibly can about this offensive line battle that's going to take place. Cause I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be amazing to watch. And I hope that the chiefs fans who really love this team, you know, while there's going to be a lot of things going on on the perimeter, I think this season, a lot of it's going to hinge on that front five and how they get the right five to start this season, you know, and get the, get the right five out there early so they can build that chemistry. I don't, I'd hate for it to become a rotation. You know, that's never good. We've seen that before. We've, we've, we've seen that play before, you know, where, where you get that rotation and a right guard, Oh, this person's a tackle. This is the center. Oh, this week it's this. You, You just, you know, as much as I wish I were one of those players that was in the mix, you know, I think personally as an observer, and as a, you know, as a coach of at least, you know, coaching, you know, having played for the Chiefs, obviously, and then having coached high school, coached the offensive line, our best seasons were always on the offensive line when we had a consistent five that played week in, week out, play in and play out. Just, you know, and I know that's, I'm sitting here comparing high school to the NFL, but look, it's still, it's still offensive line play, no matter what level it is. And you need that consistency. So I think, I personally think that Andy Heck, Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid from a line coordinator and head coach are going to do everything they can to go in with the, the most solid five they can and that they, that they can when the season starts and go with it. And, and I think that's why this offseason is going to be so important for, for that, for the, for the line. And now a word from our sponsor. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. And now is a great time to check it out with the NBA playoffs in full tilt. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Uh, obviously, we mentioned one of the storylines from the OTAs. We're going to continue to watch as well. Everybody including the coaches, uh, the offensive line. The other thing that was interesting, Joe, when they met with the media on Thursday, uh, the 
defensive players, Matthew, Tyron Matthew, and Anthony Hitchens, uh, you know, they were asked, like, what has been the focus? And they both immediately said red zone defense. They, they worked the first um, two days. They really focused on that. Uh, when does that surprise you, seeing how the defense played last, um, last year? Did you see that as, as a weakness, kind of allowing too many touchdowns once teams did if teams did reach the 20 and how, what kind of drills can you do? You know, it's not like if, if somebody's fumbling a lot, you can just send that running back to the gauntlet and do all those drills. How do you practice uh, kind of, how do you focus on red zone defense? Yeah, Jeff, that's a great astute point because, you know, the red zone is more to me, it's more about philosophy and game planning and alignment and, sort of where you put your players and putting the right players out there than it is like a particular physical skill. I think that was a great analogy, right? It's not like, you know, if your quarterback and your wide receiver aren't, you know, hitting on the out pattern, you run a 10 extra out patterns at the end of practice, get your timing down. Like there's a lot of muscle memory that goes into personal physical attributes that happen on a football field that you can rep and practice to me the red zone is more like a philosophy it's how you set your players up on that chessboard during the game um, because think about it the field shrinks right um, it, it's and it's just as hard trust me it's just as hard for the offense as it is for the defense to try to do that game planning for the red zone because you know as, as the field gets smaller right you can't can't run jet patterns, right? You can't run Tyreek Hill down the field at, you know, his four zero speed, whatever it is, right? And just let him be a jet and just take off. So, you know, it, 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 it changes the way that you put those pieces to the puzzle in there or you move your chess pieces around because the field just gets smaller and it shrinks and you have to like change the way that you play. And on defense, I think it's sort of uh, it's um, exacerbated in the fact that you gotta you gotta be able to stop the run and the pass, right? Because the the last thing you want to do is the field shrinks, right? Is is stop is is not be able to stop the run, right? Because you you know that's where it really gets salty, man to man. You know you've got to be able to look at those big receivers that can do those little you know, flag patterns and those little, you know, fades in the end zone that you throw it up to, you know, the Randy Mosses of the world who could just, you know, jump and, and, and beat you with their size. You know, you've got to be able to stop the horizontal stretch and the speed going across the field. And you've also at the same time got to be really cognizant of the run because if you focus too much on the red zone pass, teams will just keep running. They'll just keep pounding it and pounding it and pounding it. And, you know, granted, they don't want to come up, come away with a field goal, but once you get down there, and you know, the closer you get, and the easier it is to make a field goal, you know, teams are going to take, they're going to walk away with those three points in the NFL. So, and plus, you're also dealing with a lot of teams that are willing to go for it inside. You know, so it almost becomes four down territory as well, right? Especially in this day and age of the NFL, with with all the statistics and the data that they look at. I mean, when you get down into the red zone. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of coaches out there right now that look at the red zone as four down territory. I think I think it's huge that they're working on it because I think it's the toughest part on the field for both offense and defense. And I think the 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 Chiefs um, it was definitely something 
that obviously they struggled with a little bit in the Super Bowl, right? I mean, so, you know, I think the Super Bowl left bad taste in the mouth with the Chiefs staff in a lot of ways, <laughs> not just the offensive line stuff, but the way that the defense um, sort of um, uh, performed in, in the red zone back in, uh, back in the Super Bowl. Uh, and, and good point, especially about stopping the run in there. They said that was kind of, as the red zone defense was the focus, the major focus of that focus, if you will. Could I repeat focus any more times? But effective <laughs> of that was stopping the run. That that's where it, where it all starts. Uh, Joe, did you notice? Um, we all noticed that in the Super Bowl, but you know, so many things. It was almost like Murphy's Law in in the Super Bowl. Um, did you notice in the other games that red zone defense was an issue, allowing them to score too many points? Uh, allowing opponents to score too many points when they reach the 20 because those stats uh that's what i found but those stats are a little bit harder to define and determine rather than like overall total offense and you know third down conversion red zone efficiency is a little bit more um you know esoteric because of of a stat yeah i mean it's it's you know it's there's so many so many ways that you know you can look at at you know you can look at the red zone right i mean there's uh you know what what percentages do you score tds only um you know do you you know how do you you know i you know field goals versus you know of course with the way the kickers are today i mean if you get to the red zone which you know we'll call it technically the 25 yard line i mean mm-hmm. most teams most teams are going to are going to walk you know they're going to walk away with three points if they get to the 25 most most nfl teams so i i think you have to you do have to look at it from a touchdown perspective because the way that these kickers are today you know it's almost a given you're going to get three if you get to the 25 um, unless something crazy happens, but yeah, I, I, I think the chiefs definitely need to, to, to work on that. I, I, I think it, I, I would call it basically, you know, whoa, you know, they were woes they had, I think. And that's, that's where they struggled. And, you know, we were very lucky as a team that could score and, you know, we could keep up the pace with other teams and we were just as good in the red zone as we were as bad in the red zone on defense, right? We were just as good on offense in the red zone as we were bad on, on defense. So it balanced it out, maybe covered up that sin a little bit. So, so I think, um, I I think all of the teams are, you know, right. You you heard, uh, you know, Anthony Hitchens, right. He was one of the first players to say it. You wrote about it, right. With, with as far as Jaron Reed, you know, here to bolster the red zone, speaking of the run and his pass rush. Um, but even the players know it. And, and if, and if it, um, if it's something that they focus on, I'm going to use the Jeff Fadoten word focus right there. Uh, you know, if they focus on it and they, and they are being adamant about focusing on it, you know, it's, you know, it's an issue because you only get that. You only get so many reps, right? You get 10, 10 OTA days. And if they're focusing it on the red zone, then they must know something as a staff. Great, and, points, yeah. Great points there, Joe. Um, you talked about the offense kind of covering up some of those, uh, red zone issues on the defensive side. Obviously, the guy who uh, covers up all those mistakes is Patrick Mahomes. And over the weekend at his, his golf tournament, he talked about his goal of going 20-0. and 0. Um, Joe, what's, what's your take on that? Uh, that 20-0 and 0 would, be, would be something for sure. Well, you know, I, I, I'm just going to give you my, my opinion. Look, there's, there's, 
my definition of humility will probably help explain how I feel about players who come out and say things like Patrick Mahomes said about winning 20 games. You know, humility to me has always been not thinking less of yourself, right? It's thinking of yourself less. Okay. I'll repeat that one more time because there's a lot of the same word in there. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Patrick Mahomes is a humble guy, humble player, full of humility because he thinks of himself less. He doesn't think less of himself. And I don't believe as an athlete or a performer or somebody has to go out and make things happen that I want. And I consider myself humble and I would consider myself somebody who practices humility, but I want to be surrounded with people who want to be successful and who can see the vision. And you can't win 20 games if you don't think you can win 20 games, right? I mean, my dad used to say it all the time when I was a kid, you know, reach, and I don't know where he got the quote from, but he would say, reach for the star, son, because chances are you aren't going to come up with a handful of mud, <laughs> Right you got to think that way. It's not being, it's not being braggadocious or, you know, it's, if it, you have to believe it, I, I have to say, Jeff, I'll tell you an interesting story about my time with the Rams after I left the chiefs. And, you know, Marty was, of course, coach Schottenheimer was always one of those coaches that, you know, you, if you ever gave the perception that you could win a game by throwing your helmet out there, like, you know, you're going to win. Like, you know, when we would play teams that would come into Arrowhead, you know, they were 0 and 7 or, you know, 1 and 14, you know. And if you ever gave the any indication that you were the type of player that thought, oh, well, we're just going to throw our hats out there and we're going to win, Marty would bench you. He'd take you off the field because he was he he always knew that any Sunday anybody could win in the NFL. And, and, and preparation is what what won games. But he, he always gave us the sense that if you did prepare, that we had the right players in our locker room, that if you executed, you could go out and you should win each game if you do all the right things, right? When I went to the Rams, and I'll, I'll leave names out to protect guilty, and if you, people want to go and look it up themselves, they can, but I won't, I won't mention any names. But when I got to the Rams, we were going out to play San Francisco, and you know the coaches basically gave us this pep speech, if you could call it that. And they were, well, look, we're playing the 49ers. And you know, obviously that year in 96, I believe the 49ers went on to win the Super Bowl, I think, right? In in the 96 season. I can't remember if that was the season they went on went on to win, but whatever. They they were still really good. The Steve Young era, right? That was still the sure. So so we we get I get in the locker room and we're we're getting the pep talk, going to play San Francisco and the coach is like, look, we're going out to play San Francisco, huge conference game, huge division game, you know, we're on the road. And it was like, if we execute perfectly on every play, if we, you know, don't make any mistakes and we don't have any penalties, they basically said, we've got a chance against these guys. And it was like, a oh, chance? Like, what are you talking about? We have a chance. Like, you have to expect to win if you prepare, right? That's you have to see the future and the vision if you want to grab it. Right. And I was, it was demoralizing. We went to, we got crushed. We went out to San Francisco and just got, we got our butts kicked. And, and, and I think it was a lesson in sort of humility versus preparation to win. Right. 
no, there was no coach who was as humble as, as Marty Schottenheimer. But yet when he prepared and he, he, you put everything in, you, you almost expected to win. So anyway, I know that was a really long, and I got on a diatribe about it and I got on my soapbox a little bit, but you know, great insight playing the game of football. You have to expect to go 20 and 0. you have to put that Super Bowl trophy up on the PowerPoint, you know, for your first team meeting when you're setting your goals. Otherwise, what are you playing for? Right. Then what you do is you set that goal. You have that vision. Then you put in the work to make it happen. This isn't Patrick Mahomes saying we're going to go 20 and 0 and he's not going to show up and bring his lunch pail every day. That's not that's the Patrick Mahomes we know. He's setting a goal. He's seeing the vision and he is the player that will lead this team to making that happen. Not just on Saturdays or Sundays or Friday nights in high school when you play the game. He is going to win the game on Tuesdays and Wednesdays in June and July and August. You know, that's when Patrick Mahomes is going to win and go 20 and 0. So I'm, I'm all for it. I, I, you know, as long as you put in the work, you know, you, you can't just say we're going to win 20 games and don't show up, then you're going to lose and you're not going to win 20 games. But that's how I feel about it, Jeff. I hope I explained that well enough without, you know, kind of going off too much on a tangent. Great, great insight, Joe, especially on, on what it was like in kind of the Rams locker room. And, that, and actually that 96 49ers team, a great team. It was uh, two years after they won the Super Bowl. Oh, what, right. They had Steve Young. They had Jerry yeah. Rice. They went 12 and four. I mean, that was yeah. a, that was a great team. Um, yeah. I, I don't have any issue at all with, with Mahomes saying 20 and 0. I mean, it, you get, you, like you said, you've got to have goals just like I think the Jaguars this year, um, you know, I think their goal should be to win the Super Bowl. It, it, it's not going to happen. The Jaguars are not going to win the Super Bowl. But if your goal is just if you're the Jaguars to go eight and eight, why, why are you playing? You know, if that's your goal is just to be okay. Um, and similarly, I, there's nothing wrong with having high aspirations and stuff like that and being oriented. That said, the Chiefs aren't going to go 20 and 0. They might, they might, they have a great chance of winning their second Super Bowl in three years, which would be amazing. But 20 and 0, the Patriots went 18 and 1, and there was even one fewer game. They're not going to go 20 and 0, but hey, no, no problem shooting for it, especially in May, you know? So. Right. Exactly. I'm totally with you on that, Jeff. Uh, Joe, one, one last thing here. I'm curious, just, um, they're going through the OTAs now, you know, that, that's a fairly recent thing. What was kind of the um, comparison when, during your playing days, right? They, they didn't have OTAs or that kind of like a mini camp. Did you have another kind of camp before the mini camp like that? Yeah, we, we always had two mini camps, okay. right? Which were pretty, you know, pretty intense. Um, they were generally three days, three and a half days. Uh, we would do two of those. Um, and that was, you know, we didn't need them as much Jeff back then because, you know, training camp was, you know, six full weeks, mm -hmm. right. Until all this collective bar, new, newer collective bargaining agreements changed the way that you could approach this, uh, you know, from a player union perspective, right. I mean, we didn't really need the mini camps as much as they do today. And I'm calling the mini camps, these OTAs, because we knew that, you know, starting July 
whatever you want to call it, 12th, 13th, whatever, that second or third week in July, we were going for six straight weeks. And we were going to have two full weeks of training camp before we even put in, before we even went and played a preseason game, right? So we knew that we had time. And we knew that training camp was a lot different back then for most teams, you know, of the 28 to 30 some teams, that, you know, that were back then. Um, you know, we knew that that we didn't need that as much. So these OTAs, I think, are really important because you get limited camp contact. You you know, they don't even really do two a days much anymore. Yeah, no, it's, it's training camp has totally changed. Well, for the mini camps, were you in? Uh, pads the whole time because that's one of the things that the OTAs that the you know they wear helmets but they but they're wearing shorts like you know they're not in pads yeah we were we were never in pads we were never it was never hitting so it was uh that was one thing that it wasn't and uh what what we started wearing towards the end uh, especially when Joe Montana got there because he was used to using these things called shells they were like they almost looked like lacrosse the yeah. under the under padding of a lacrosse uniform um, so they weren't full NFL football shoulder pads. They were like these soft, just to, just so if you caught a face mask to the shoulder, you know, you wouldn't bruise a bruise a bruise a shoulder, or, you know, like bruise your, you know, your collarbone or something. Um, so they were they were kind of they were kind of nice to wear, just to feel a little bit protected. And when you would pass block, it it gave you something to grab onto. So we could we could go a little bit more high speed in our pass protection. You know, our run blocking was very limited. Um, it was all kind of fit and then stop like we weren't driving people into the ground. But, you know, it's a great chance to work on footwork and a great chance to get timing down um, and things like that. So, you know, I think these OTAs are much more important today than they were than what we called minicamp. Now, we did have offseason workouts, too. So I, I think people people maybe forget about that, even though we had two minicamps. If you were there in the offseason, we would still go out on the field. And, you know, kind of like run through plays or do drills with our position coaches. So we did have, we did have a lot of what, what, what they call today OTAs, except they were, we call them off-season workouts, right? So they would do, we never really went team during off-season workouts. We generally just did like, they called it Skelly back then, Skeleton Drill or 7 on 7 where they would do pass routes against each other, maybe do some one-on-one -on -one pass routing. Sometimes we would do some one-on-one -on -one pass blocking with the defensive line, but it was very rare during an off-season, I'm doing air quotes, right, an off-season workout. So those were more about going out on the field, getting your, you know, getting your kind of sea legs under you and, and just sort of getting out on the field and getting, the, getting some of your timing down and your footwork and working with the coaches and, you know, hitting dummies or hitting the sled or things like that. Um, and that was usually like once or twice, sometimes three days a week, we would do those sort of like meet up on the field after our lifting session. So, um, there was a lot, it was a lot back then. I mean, I could see why the NFL PA and the union would say, Hey, you know, if, if you want the best product during the season and, and now with 17 regular season games, Holy cow, you better limit, you know, you better limit, especially with head injury stuff, with the fact that these bodies now are so highly tuned these nfl players god they're like you know these, these players today are like they're machines you know what i mean their bodies are so in tune you want to protect that for the season and give the fans the best product i think 
Um, hey, that's, that's really in, interesting perspective uh, from your playing days because it kind of sounds like OTAs are like right in between what you had with mini camps and kind of just those off-season workouts you guys had after hitting the, the weight room because the OTAs, you know, you're, you do have some team action, but you're also – they're not wearing even shoulder pads. It's, it's really, you know, it's just helmets and, and jerseys and shorts. So kind of like right in between there is, is kind of what, what they're doing now, I guess, with these OTAs. Yeah, definitely. It's a good good way to look at it, Jeff. Just, they're splitting it right down the middle to protect the players, right? To Like I said, they just want to get the best product out on the field for the season, right? Nobody's winning the Super Bowl. I mean, I, I'm – taking my little thing about winning the Super Bowl today because you are preparing to win the Super Bowl today in June, right? And that's Nobody's that's, going 20-0 in May or June, right? But so. exactly, exactly, Jeff. No one, no one, you know, no one's watching. There's no fans in the stand. You know, there's no entertainment value to the offseason. The NFL has become, you know, about it, the entertainment value of what happens in early September, you know, through February. That's where it counts. So – the, you know, the NFL has done everything it can to protect that part of the game for the players so that they can be the best they can be during the season. Because i got to be honest, Jeff, we used to go into the season, I mean, relatively tired. I, you know, I actually thought when you were talking about mini camps and these other, I thought just knowing Marty, how tough a coach, I thought everything was in pants. I thought you guys would leave the weight room and have to grab some shoulder pads and, and hit a little more, even no matter what month it was uh, in the offseason. So. Oh, well, it was, a, it was a training camp. I remember my rookie year, we went 13 days in a row of full two-a-day in pads. 13 days in a row, Jeff. 26 practices in pads, full pads. Wow. And he gave us he gave us a half a day off on that second Sunday. And it's funny because, you know, I don't know if I've told the story before on our pod, but, you know, I remember they they got me the rookie, you know, because I happened to be, you know, Catholic. And, you know, I was like, hey, coach. And I knew Coach Schottenheimer was Catholic. I said, hey, coach, are, are we going to get to go to mass on Sunday? And thinking because all the players were wanted me to ask Coach Schottenheimer, thinking we get the morning off or the afternoon off to do that. And he said, "Oh, don't worry. We're we're bringing in some. We're bringing in a priest to do mass at lunch, and it was like a <laughs> ten minute mass. So, so you know, so here we are, you know, on a Sunday doing two a days. And he's like, he's you know, he's like, don't worry, Joe. We have mass covered, so we can still have our two a day. So I was like, oh man, and, and all the veterans are like, oh man, you know, no rest for the weary. Well, if you enjoy this show, which is presented by Bet Online, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available on your favorite directories." iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.